0: All right, let's open with a word of prayer, and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord, and we ask, Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us tonight. Lord, if you look at the life of King Asa, first two chapters doing so well, and then like so many other people in Scripture, toward the end of their life, losing their way. And Father, I pray it would be a word of exhortation for all of us, whether we're at the beginning of our lives or toward the end of it. Lord, that we would learn a lesson and what not to do if we desire to finish strong. How easy it is to take our eyes off of you and get them on the world or become self-sufficient, as we will see with Asa tonight. So Lord, be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. amen. So as we know Chronicles written to the captives coming back from Babylon after 70 years in captivity. First Chronicles spoke of King David, Second Chronicles mostly, uh, again, King Solomon and his descendants. And so now we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about King Asa. And Asa started off really, really well. He was doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The last couple of weeks we saw that he tore down all the false idols and brought them back into worship to the true and living God. He even went as far as to fire his grandma. You guys remember that? His grandmother was the queen mother, they called her, and then she had these false idols she was worshiping, and he tore those down and removed her from being the queen mother of the country. And, you know, there is a time, there are times in our life where we're going to have to choose between lining up with ungodliness of family and lining up with the Lord. And we must choose the Lord. Still love them, but choose the Lord every time. Amen? He wouldn't even compromise for his family's sake. And then, again, he also brought many reforms into the southern kingdom. And then we saw him face a one million man army. And this is important to remember, because when he was overwhelmed, they were outnumbered three to one. Uh, And so this this million-man army, and they also had all these chariots that they didn't have. So they had better weapons and more men. And when the battle was about to begin, what was the first thing that he did? Who remembers? He prayed. He prayed. He sought the Lord because he knew he couldn't do it in his own strength. He knew his own army wasn't strong enough. He knew he didn't have the weapons to win the battle. So it made him desperate, and he cried out to the Lord. Tonight we're going to see that after a bunch of years of peace, that he ceases to be as desperate as he once was. Again, when he was encouraged to do further reforms, he did them. And he was faithful. And he was even having an impact on the northern kingdom. Remember that Judah is the two southern kingdoms, uh, Judah and Benjamin. And the other ten kingdoms were to the north. And a lot of the people from Israel were coming down to be in Judah because they had reestablished worship and they had a godly king where idolatry was still running rampant in Israel. And so that will bring us to tonight's chapter and grab your outline if you have it. And I tell our message when our faith is fading, because that's what we're going to see in the life of Asa tonight. See, I love that the Bible, it does not hide the frailties of its heroes so that we can learn from it. You know, it's been said that experience is the best teacher. It doesn't have to be our own experience. We can learn from the experience of others. And Asa is another example of a a guy who was a godly king who was so faithful, but toward the end of his life starts to fade in his faith. Number one, when we're not as close to God as we once were, when our faith is fading, we no longer are as desperate for the Lord as we once were. Again, two chapters ago, fighting a million-man army, feeling overwhelmed on his face, crying out to the Lord for help in a place of total desperation. But often, what happens is, as time goes on, we cease to be as desperate for the Lord as we used to be, and often turn to the world for answers before turning to the Lord. And the older and wiser we become, the more we rely on self and the less we cry out to the Lord. Well, I've I've been living in my life. I got some experience. I know what I'm doing, right? We get in that mentality where we can start to our trust in our bank account. Well, I got I don't need to cry out to God because I can cover that bill. And when when you're overwhelmed and you can't win without the Lord, it keeps us humble, broken, and desperate. Number two, we start to judge our actions by the immediate results. We're going to see in tonight's text that Asa is going to do something ungodly, and initially it's going to look like God's blessing it. And sometimes what will happen in our life, especially as our faith is fading, we may choose to do something that we know is contrary to the word of God. And initially, at least, it may look like we're getting away with it well, God didn't do anything about it. God's continuing to bless my life. I guess it doesn't matter if I keep doing this. Well, that's how Ace is going to start off. He's going to disobey God. And initially it's going to look like God's blessing it, but in the end, consequences will come. Point number three, when our faith is fading, when we are not as close to God as we once were, we miss out on God's highest by settling for less than his perfect will. You know, God loves to reward faith. One of my five or six life verses is in tonight's chapter, and it's, it's verse number nine, where it says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of one whose heart is loyal to him. So God's eyes are looking for people that have faith. Isn't it amazing that every time that we have a faithful moment, God sees it? You know, he also sees it moments when we're struggling. He sees this at all times, but he loves to look at someone who is faithful and willing to be used and to pour out his spirit upon them and use them in a mighty and a powerful way. And when we, when we're, when our faith is fading, we miss out on God's highest. We're willing to settle sometimes for a lukewarm walk. Like we talked about on Sunday, I got a saved soul and a wasted life. I'm on the cruise ship to heaven and I don't have to be on fire for God all the time and you know that mentality that can take place. And and sadly what happens is we miss out on God's highest. And again, the Lord actively looks for people of faith to bless them. Not and not in the way that the world says. He's not looking for your faith to give you money. Amen. If he's not the Holy Santa Claus in the sky. Again, where God guides, God provides. But what he loves is men and women who are saying, Lord, use me to reach people for the kingdom of God. Use me to love and serve somebody else. If someone else needs a hug, use my arms. If someone needs a word of encouragement, Lord, use my lips, right? And so we want to be used by the Lord, and that's someone that God will use. And then finally, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I'll tell you something I've heard. I'm not exaggerating. I think I've heard it 500 times in my 35 years as a pastor. If I'm off, Lord, forgive me, but it's up there. And here's what I've heard. God doesn't do what I think, and God doesn't hear my prayers, and I'm mad at God. I've heard that so many times, I can't even tell you. So many times in counseling, I pray and God doesn't answer. And I'm like, well, bro, you're praying amiss, Amen. But the reality is people get like that. Like, I prayed for that job, and I didn't get it. So God doesn't hear my prayers. He heard your prayer. He said no. Amen. But there's this mentality where we pray and like we think that we can tell God what to do. Like we're smarter than him. And then when he doesn't do what we want, we get mad at God. And so it's one of the most frustrating things for me sometimes because they're just angry. And God doesn't hear my prayers. Pastor, I don't believe it. You don't believe it because you didn't get what you wanted. And God's smarter than you, and he loves you enough not to give you everything you want. Amen? He's going to give you what you need, not what you want. He's going to give you what is best. And so we're going to see that tonight's text. Asa is going to get angry with God. Like, it's God's fault. He's going to be mad at God because he disobeys God. Then God judges him. Then he's mad at God for judging him for living outside of his will. And so these are all lessons for us to learn. I feel like I'm entering the fourth quarter, right? So the average age for an adult male uh, is about 78, okay? So I'm about to turn 60, so the fourth quarter's starting, okay? I live 20, 40, 60, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter. I could go before that, but let's assume it's the fourth quarter, right? And I want to finish strong. And every time I read about these These guys who fail, I pray, Lord, don't let that be me. And take heed lest we fall, because that can be any of us, amen? Because Asa was on fire for God. Asa was kicking down idols when nobody else would. Asa was standing up for the truth in the face of a lie. He even, again, fired his own grandma. I mean, the dude was about it. But time's going to go by, and he's going to lose his way. So let's begin there in verse 1 of looking at when our faith is fading we're not as close to God as we once were. Verse 1, in the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. So in the 36th year, if you read back to the, first, the last verse of, of the previous chapter, it says there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. So after they defeated the Ethiopian man army and chased them down, the rest of the world heard it and nobody wanted to mess with Judah. And God gave them peace. And so they had peace for 35 years, roughly. So it's not till the 36th year that there's going to be conflict again. And oddly enough, it's not with uh, another nation, but with their own brothers, right? It's with Israel. It's going to be like a civil war. They're part of the children of Israel, right? And so both, both sides are. But what happens here is 35 years of peace. And during 35 years of peace, we're going to see that when everything's good, people tend to be less desperate for God. I might pray often, I've prayed it a lot as a pastor, that God, give us whatever persecution we need to get us desperate for God. And I think we saw some of that during COVID, didn't we? COVID did not define the church. It just revealed where the church was. When you got people that are so scared to death, Again, and again, if you, have a, if you had a pre-existing condition, and I, I totally get it, and you do what's right for you, but when, when people will go to the grocery store and Home Depot and the liquor store but not to church, something's wrong, amen? And there's this mentality, and a lot of churches are still haven't opened up yet, and if they haven't opened up yet, they can just stay closed as far as I'm concerned, but the, the truth is here that we can get into that place where we just become comfortable, and then we cease to be desperate, and so what's happened here is it's the 36th year, so now he's facing opposition for the first time in over three decades. And what happened is Basha goes into Ramah. Now, Ramah is about five miles north of Jerusalem, so it's between the northern kingdom and and, uh, Jerusalem, which encompasses Judah and uh, Benjamin. And so the tribes of Judah, what they're doing is they're basically setting up a fortress so that the The road that goes down into Jerusalem is cut off. So people can't leave and they can't come. And so what happens then is there's no way to get food in. There's no way to get stuff. So what they're going to do is try to build this fortress to starve them out. Build this fortress to bring Judah to its knees, winning a battle just by surrounding them. And so he begins to build this, you know, this great fortress again, to come against the children of Israel. I also believe he kept having people leave because Israel was still worshiping false idols, and Judah was worshiping the true and living God. And a lot of people were leaving Israel to go to Judah where they had a godly king, where the worship of God was still taking place, where the temple was active, and they wanted to leave. And so I think that Basha is doing this to keep all his people where they are. Sounds like a communist country, doesn't it? To keep all the people where they are, and also to inflict damage to the children of Judah. So Asa has done all these wonderful things, but yet we see, sadly, that now this, this, this opposition is coming in, and Basha, the king of Israel here, is going to be his first conflict and again, this, this big fortress is being built. By the way, Ramah in the Bible is the hometown of Samuel. So Samuel's mom, Hannah, lived there. Remember, she would go down and, and come each year to, to, to worship the Lord, and she cried out for a son. So Basha is seeking not only commercial control over the main road for trade, but to starve out Judah and to keep his people from going and being with the godly king. And so in so doing, he makes a declaration of war. So now how is Asa going to respond? Now, last time he had a declaration of war, what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. And last time the army was way bigger. It was a million people. Last time it wasn't his own people, but last time it also may have not been as big of a threat over a long term. So what does he do? Verse two, then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus saying, let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold and come break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he may withdraw from me. So here's what he does. He doesn't pray. He takes the stuff that's in the house of the Lord and basically is willing to trade the stuff that belongs to God and then give it to a pagan king to get that pagan king to not be in a treaty with Israel and be able to treaty with him instead so that Israel will give up. So what is he doing? He's not praying. He's coming with a worldly answer. He does not seek the Lord. The Lord is not mentioned here at all. And he runs to the king of Syria. He runs to an ungodly king. Asa years before and cried out to the Lord. He prayed. He sought the Lord. Now he's older. Now he has wealth. Now, but at the same time, he's had 35 years of peace and 35 years where maybe many of them, he wasn't so desperate for God. So now his prayer life has faded. He's not as hungry for the things of God as he was when he was desperate. And now that he's comfortable He just wants to solve the problem his own way. And that's a problem we all can have as believers. If we get too comfortable, we'll cease to be desperate for God. We'll cease to spend time crying out to the Lord. We'll spend less time on our knees and more time on our recliner. Amen? So they got so comfortable that they lost their desperation for the Lord. You know, it's why the book of James tells us to count it all joy when you fall into various trials, trials produce patience and the perfecting of your faith. See, it's only it's when we go through the greatest trials that we pray the most. It shouldn't have to be that way, but it's pretty universally true for all of us. Don't we pray more in the worst times? We just do. And I will on, I'll be transparent with you that my most desperate prayer have been when my kids are struggling, going through a tough time, and on my face and crying out to God like no other time. When my kids were young and they were sick, that's the time you would cry out to God the most. And see, the Lord, no suffering is wasted. God will use even our suffering to bring us to a place where we're crying out to Him. And Asa was crying out, and then 35 years of comfort. And now he's wealthy, and everybody's been afraid of them. And he's had no fear for all these years. And what happens is he became so comfortable that he ceased to be desperate for God. Because here's the reality. If you're not praying normally, you might pray in the time of desperation. But if you're praying all the time, you're really going to pray in times of desperation. Amen? That prayer life doesn't just come back, although in some cases it's sad. That's the only time people pray. So we can all fall into the same, the same trap. Early on in our walk, we have a childlike faith and we cry out in desperation. I love new believers. I love when someone gets saved real good, as my dad used to say, where they get saved and they're excited about God and they tell everybody. And sometimes I've had people that are older in the faith say, well, he's new. He'll settle down. And I'm like, no, he shouldn't settle down. We ought to fire up. Amen. But the reality is, and time goes by, so we're excited when we're Dude, you know what happened this week? I gave my life to Jesus, right? Have you guys watched the Jesus Revolution, right? They got saved and they were not ashamed about it, amen? They were telling everybody about it. And you know what? They're so excited. Everybody come to the baptism, but bringing everybody to church and that mentality. What happens after a while, though, it's like, well, yeah, I got my job. I got my career. I got stuff going on in my life. And yeah, I go to church on Sunday. There's not a football game or NASCAR race on, Right. And so we cease to be desperate for God. Sometimes when there's money in the bank, we're older, we're wiser, we have more resources, and we're not always in a place where if God doesn't show up, it's not going to work. I could just write a check. We must not use God's blessings to keep us from being desperate for God. You know, our prayer ought to be, Lord, if I have too much, take enough away to keep me desperate. Asa dishonored God and modeled for his people to use worldly wealth and wisdom to overcome his problem. He had a problem. What did he do? He went and took money in a sense. He like stole from God. Remember, he's the one that replaced the the implements that belonged to the Lord. He put them back where they belonged. And now he's in a time of trouble and he steals the stuff out of the house of the Lord. And he gives the gold and the silver to the enemy, to a Syrian pagan king, asking him to fight on his behalf and to withdraw his treaty from his enemy and come be on my side. And if you'll do that, I'll give you this money. So what did he do? He he placated the enemy and he used his own wealth to solve his problem rather than seeking the Lord. Worst of all, it worked. It's going to work. And there's nothing sadder than when we turn to the world for answers, and then at least for a moment it works. Because then we see that we don't need God. See, I didn't even ask God for help. God didn't need help me. I, I, I took care of it on my, on my own. We start to think doing it our own way is okay, that the ends justify the means. So Asa takes from the treasures of the Lord to a pagan king, Ben-Hadad of Syria, and his covenant with God. He trusted God to protect Judah, now putting his trust in a pagan king. Remember at the end of the last chapter that all the people gathered together and they worshiped the Lord together and they made a covenant with Almighty God. And they had made this covenant, but what happens is some time had gone by and they forgot the covenant. Go back to the previous chapter and look at verse 15. It says, and all Judah rejoiced at the oath. For they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. See, they made a covenant with God, and then God blessed them with rest. And you know, the Bible talks about us entering into his rest. It doesn't mean it's free of difficulty, but it means that we can rest in him when we're walking with him. And so that's where the children of Israel were, but some time went by. And they ceased to be desperate and they got real comfortable. And now their king is showing them when things get tough, just write a check. When things get difficult, take stuff that was given to the Lord, take it back and go use it. And now align yourself with a pagan king who worships the very same idols that you tore down. It's so tragic to see how quickly we can fall back. This man of great faith in the battle with the Ethiopians decades earlier has become a man full of unbelief. Spurgeon said this, but the greatest faith of yesterday will not give us confidence for today unless the fresh springs which are in God shall overflow again. You know, if God did great things in our past, we can certainly trust in them that he will do it again. But if we are not being filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, our walk with God will grow stale and we will become faithless. We need to be filled afresh. We need to be in His His presence. We need to have intimate relationship with the Lord. If I would, you know, my wife and I and I have been married for 38 years. If I didn't talk to her for 35 years, that's not a marriage. Amen? And I don't know that Asa didn't talk to him at all, but we can see that over time, his focus has been taken off of the Lord and more on his own comfort, more on his own resources, more on his own abilities, And pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Amen? So here he is, he's lost his way. And now he's crying out to the king of Syria. We need to be filled afresh every day. People of the word, fellowship and prayer, staying desperate for the Lord always. Always. I said this the other day and it's true. There is not a viable reason for us not to be in the word every single day. Amen? Well, I have to work. Yeah, you do, but you you're you got time somewhere in there, amen. You got time somewhere before work, after work, during work, during your lunch hour. Oh, there's got to be time during the day. You got time to eat and you desire the word of God more than your necessary food. That's in the Bible. So you got time to eat, you got t- time to spend time in your word, amen. Well, I believe that's what's happening with Asa. He's gotten comfortable. He's the king. They've had peace, God's grace for 35 years, no trials. Now the trials come and they try to solve it in a worldly way. So point number one there, when our faith is fading, no longer as desperate for the Lord as we once were. Again, the older and wiser we become, the more we rely on self and the less we cry out to the Lord. So he makes a treaty where he had made, he makes a treaty with the enemy. So he's being unequally yoked with an unbeliever. He's made a treaty with the enemy. Now what's going to happen? Look at verse 4. We start to judge our actions by the immediate results. Watch what happens here in verse 4. So Ben Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel, then attacked Ejon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the storage cities in Naphtali. So the guy that was once aligned with Israel got paid more money, and he turned around and attacked Israel. And this is somebody that you really want on your side, right? Because Judah gave him however much money they gave him. I'm surprised the bidding didn't go back up, and Israel paid him more, and then he flipped around again. And see, I'm thankful that our God is for us, and he is with us always. Amen? And no one's going to You know, outbid us on our relationship with God. No one's going to get him to turn against us under any circumstances. So he's paying off this guy who now goes against the children of Israel, whom he had once stood beside. Then it says there in verse 5 Now, what happened when Baasha heard it, that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. So here's what happens it worked, right? It worked what happened? They were building this fortress. They were keeping people from coming through. They couldn't get food to them. People couldn't get to Jerusalem, and the people from Jerusalem couldn't get out to make trade. They were going to be stuck. So they hired these mercenaries. They gave a bunch of pagans money that they stole from God, and then it worked. And this seems sometimes like, why would God allow this? Now, again, when we disobey God you could have a temporary time where it looks like it doesn't matter. Oh, we got away with it, right? Remember that God's grace is not God's permission to keep sinning. Amen? As a pastor, I can't tell you how many times this has happened, usually with a younger couple. They show up in my office, and they think, they, they think that the girl's pregnant. And they're like in high school or in college, and they're like, oh, we don't know what to do. We got to tell our parents. And then they find out the girl's not pregnant. God gave them grace. And then two months later, they're back in my office thinking the girl's pregnant. You know what's causing this, right? <laughs> Better to marry than to burn, amen? Knock it off in Jesus' name, amen? But the problem is, well, see, we got away with it before. We can just keep on in our sin and we're not gonna get caught. And the same can happen with any sin, whatever that sin might be, that sometimes you do something and then the consequences don't really come. So you think, I can just keep doing this as long as I want. Because God's not bringing any any judgment. Look, He suffers long, but He won't suffer always. And your sin will surely find you out. Amen? And you know what? God will warn you. And and God will, look, you'll you'll come close to something disastrous taking place because of, of what you've done. And God may show you grace. And then if you continue in it, eventually it's coming. And here's what happened so he so he does it and he wins. Israel ran away. Hey, we've got. The the fortress, we're going to see in just the next verse here, that he's going to take the fortress and he's going to split it into two fortresses of his own. He's going to take all the lumber and everything that Israel put together and he's going to put it in two separate cities and build more fortresses for himself. So, hey, I paid money for these mercenaries and now things were better than they were before Israel was uh, was going to attack us or going to, you know, shield us off. And so when we came out ahead and we didn't even talk to God about it look what happened. I got that promotion at work and I've been living an ungodly life. See, God will bless me even when I'm not faithfully serving him. So Basha stopped building the fortress. He went home and at first glance, we could say that Asa's trust in the pagan king worked. And sadly, many people in the world judge their actions by the immediate results. And even believers after doing what they know is wrong, if it prospers, may feel justified in doing so. Getting away with it, even for a time, is not a god. not a god agreeing with your disobedience. And he says from world perspective. From world's perspective, he looks like he's a genius. So you paid somebody, and you had that you took away their ally, made him your ally, and and now you sent them running for the hills. Boy, you're a genius. Militarily, it looks like he's really smart but spiritually, it's a disaster. He's doing it in his own strength instead of trusting in the Lord. Now watch what he does in verse six. Then King Asa took all Judah and they carried away the stones and timber from Ramah, which Basha had been building. And with them, he built Geba and Mizpah. So Asa takes the materials that were being used by his enemy. And now he's going to build two more fortresses. Mitzvah means watchtower. It was a city close to Ramah, and what they were doing is using that to protect themselves from future attacks from enemies. So they're taking away the fortress that was against them, building fortresses for themselves, and it looks like by the time it's over, they're better off than they were, and they disobeyed God all along, and somehow they got away with it. Well, they're not going to get away with it for long. The chapter doesn't end right there, does it? You know, if it did, you'd think, wow, they got away with it. And again, sometimes there's times in our life we can get away with something for for days, weeks, months, years, sometimes even decades. But eventually, the consequences come. So it appears his plan worked. He not only won the battle through Benedad's army, he's now using the spoils of war to build new fortresses. He dishonored God in front of the entire nation. Asa was the king. Asa was one of God's examples to the people. And now the people watching what the king is doing are saying, okay, so if we get in trouble, we just need to buy somebody off. Yeah, we don't need to pray. We don't need to cry out to God. Let me say this. As parents, grandparents, especially the men who are called to be the spiritual leader in our household, our kids are watching how we do things, and the example that we set for them is the example often that they will follow. Amen? So we need to be careful that it's not just who we are on Sunday morning in front of the church, but who were we the rest of the week? Are we people, you know, you've heard it said the reputation is who you are when everyone's watching, character is who you are when no one's watching, and God has called us to be men and women of character. Asa has been now a poor example to the children of Israel, and he's he's shown them the wrong way to live. See, he was the one that led them into the, the covenant they made with God when they all came together and they blew the shofar and they cried out to God and they worshiped him. Asa was a godly man leading him in a godly direction, but some time went by and he got comfortable and now he's an ungodly example. And that's why we need to stay humble, broken, and desperate and usable for the kingdom of God. Because as soon as we get comfortable, often we will cease to be an example for others to follow. God's response to Asa's faithlessness trusting in the world instead of crying out to God. We're going to see that next. So point number one there, again, when our faith is fading, when we are not as close to God as we once were, no longer as desperate for the Lord as we once were. And then we start to judge our actions by the immediate results. So I didn't get any trouble. I didn't get caught. I think God blessed it, even though I've been a horrible example. Now, point number three. This will spend most of our time in the text this morning, this evening. It says we miss out on God's highest by settling for less than his perfect will. God truly loves to reward faith, but he also will bring actions against faithlessness amongst his believers. Look what it says here in verse 7. And at that time, Hanina the seer came to Asa the king of Judah. And said to him, Now, Hanina, when it says seer, it means prophet. So he's a prophet, and keeping in mind again that while the early books of the Bible were available at this time, the Bible still being written, and God would often speak through prophets. And so, because of his rebellion, often you will see, we see this throughout scripture, God will send a prophet to speak to somebody. How did David get confronted when he committed? Uh, murder and adultery. What did God do? Send Nathan. Remember, he came to him and told him a story. Hey, David, I got to tell you this story. You guys remember this in scripture? God's genius, isn't he? He tells him a story. He has a thousand lambs. He's got all these lambs. There's one guy who only had one lamb, and he stole that little lamb and took it away from the other guy. And, you know, and David gets all fired up. Bring me this man. I want to kill him. And now Nathan says, uh, That's you. Because you got all these wives and all this stuff, and you took the one wife that belonged to this other man, and you had, had him put to death, and he got confronted by, about his sin. Now, the good news is, for us, I think it's the great news, we have the Holy Spirit who convicts us like that. Can I get amen? amen. There it is, right? When, when we sin, when we go outside of God's will, He loves us enough to bring conviction. Well, in this case, Asa thinks he's getting away with it. Asa thinks, hey, yeah, I, I hired a pagan king. All I did was write a check. I took some of God's stuff and gave it to them. The very, and, and, so, and it's lost on him that these are the same pagans that he tore down their false gods. And now he's aligning with them and he thinks he's gotten away with it, but it's coming. And here comes the judgment. So Ananias shows up and he approaches Asa and he's going to confront him. He's the man of God who's going to speak for the Lord. And you know what? We all need Hanina's and Nathans in our life. Amen? We need people that love us enough who will tell us the truth even when we don't want to hear it. Somebody who's going to come and say, bro, or, you know, hey, uh, you know, sis, right? How, what are you doing? I love you. But you know what? We need, to, we need to have people that love us enough to tell us the truth. Hanina's name means Gracious. And we don't know much about this prophet other than his bold exhortation and rebuke to, to King Asa. And we'll also see that two of his sons are prophets. But this is the only real time we see much mentioned of him. And so here's what Hananiah says when he comes to Asa. Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Now, the word you want to notice there is the word relied. It's three times in a couple of verses here. He, was, he said, because you've relied on who? What does it say there? The king of Basha, or the king of, uh, excuse, excuse me, ben Hayden. So you've relied on the wrong king, the king of Syria, because you've relied on the king of Syria instead of relying upon the Lord. See, before he relied upon the Lord. The word relied there, I loved it. I looked it up in the original language I love what it it means in its full encompassing. It means to lean on, to trust in, or to support oneself. So you lean, it's somebody you lean on, you're hanging on to, and, and, and where you get all of your support. And before it was the Lord, before he had relied upon the Lord, now he's relying upon a pagan king. And he said, because you relied on a pagan king, instead of relying upon the Lord because you held on to the pagan king, because you trusted in a foreign God. Notice what he says here at the end of that verse. It's interesting. He said there, because you relied upon him, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. You know what the inference is here? God would, if he had gone out and fought the battle himself, he would have not only defeated Israel, but he would have defeated Syria. What he's saying is he had trusted in the Lord that the Syrians would have been, uh, he would have defeated them. They would have been under his control. And instead, he's given them more money to fight against him in the future. And the same thing is true with our sin. If we don't put it to death, if we just keep feeding it, it becomes an even greater enemy to destroy us. Amen. See, the enemy needs to be put to death. We need to put the flesh to death. Remember Saul and Agag, right? Remember King Saul? Go out and kill all the Amalekites. Amalekites, a type of the flesh in the Bible. And what does he do? He goes out and he brings back all the sheep and oxen. He brings back anything of value. And then he brings back King Agag, the king of the flesh. And he parades him through town in chains. And then when Samuel comes up to him, he says to him, Oh, so prophet of God, I did everything God told me to do. And then I love the sense of humor in the Bible, because he it, it, it says, I did everything you told me to do. And you hear, bah. And Samuel says, what is that bleeding of sheep I hear? You weren't supposed to bring those back. And he goes, oh, it was the people that wanted to bring them back. And they brought them back so we could sacrifice them to the Lord. I cheated on my taxes so I could tithe more, right? That mentality. And so... He brings Agag back, and if you remember, Samuel comes out, and Samuel's in his 80s, and when King Agag sees the prophet come out to Samuel, he kind of breathes a sigh of relief. Oh, it's an old man. And what does Samuel do? He hacks him into pieces with a sword. And again, we need to put the flesh to death, and we always have that one chief king of the flesh that we might want to hold on to, and how do we put it to death? With the sword, which is what? The Word of God. Amen? So here's that picture that when you compromise that enemy you've aligned yourself with will become worse than if you had defeated them the way you were supposed to. And that's what was supposed to happen. He's letting them know, hey, Asa, my plan was always for you to defeat Israel, but also for you to defeat Syria. And now you've made them stronger. And now you've put your faith in them instead of putting your faith in me. And it's sad when we put other things in front of the Lord. And so... Hananiah, is not, he's not shy. He's because you relied on the King of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the King of Syria has escaped from your hand. He put his faith in men and the world instead of trusting in the Lord. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. He wanted to give him victory, and he took a shortcut. Instead of waiting upon the Lord, seeking the Lord or trusting the Lord. You know, the lesson here is God's plans are bigger than yours. He was only thinking about Israel. God wanted had more. He wanted to have him defeat Israel and defeat Syria. And he missed out on the whole plan because he was so focused on what was right in front of him. You know, God has greater things in store for us than we could ever imagine. And we need us to be faithful with what's in front of us, and then he'll show us what's next. And the sad part is, a lot of us are going to get to heaven and see all the things that the Lord had desired to do with us, and we never even got to step number one, some of us, because we were just happy, you know, sitting on the sidelines. Again, the key word of the section here is relied, again, to lean, to trust in. Who are you leaning on? Are you leaning on your bank account, or are you leaning on your, you know, your your wealth, your talents, your looks, whatever else you may be leaning on? Or are you resting in the Lord, the king of Syria, trusting in him instead of almighty God? And while his immediate results look good, his foolish choice is going to result in long-term consequences. Now, the Lord's going to remind him of when he showed up before. And God has a way of doing that. Look at verse 8. Were the Ethiopians... This is the prophet speaking. Were the Ethiopians the Lubim, not a huge army, and very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Don't you have greater foes you faced in the past, and you saw God show up? And the truth is, whatever whatever struggle you're facing right now, more than likely, you faced greater difficulties in the past. Maybe not always, but a lot of times you faced greater difficulties in the past. And if you're facing the most difficult thing of your life now, it's going to be an example for you in the future when you go through trials that are nowhere near as great as the one you're going through now. And the point is this, that if God can bring us through the greatest trial, we can trust him in the lesser one. Amen? If God can bring me through the death of my 28-year-old son, I promise you that every trial that ever happens the rest of my life won't even compare. And you know what? You know what that does? I see God bring us through it, and God's going to bring us through what's in front of us. And Asa had been through greater trials, and yet this time a million men army is bigger than fighting Israel and their, their fortress they put up just to keep people from coming to you. He forgot about the victory God gave him in the past. His faith from what happened in the past had waned. Time had gone by. He forgot about how faithful God had been. Another re- good reason I want to encourage you, prayer journal. I love it, I, and I'm getting. I'm going full time at the church here in a couple of weeks. one of the first things I'm going to do is get back into doing that every single day. And what happens is, you know, you get a, you can get one with dates on it, and just write your prayer requests down, and then pray for them faithfully, and keep praying for them. And what's amazing is when you go back, you know, you go back with the end of the year and you see all the prayers that God answered, and I would highlight them all, at, and even the ones He said no. Amen. And you highlight them, you see that God answers prayer. And what does that do? That that makes you want to pray more. It makes you realize that God answers prayer. But sometimes we we pray for things and then God answers and then we forget. And then we're mad at God when he didn't answer the next one. And that's what's happened here. Asa has totally forgotten, at least in the way his behavior is coming out, what happened all those years earlier when they defeated a million-man army with 300,000 guys. And they had, they had chariots, and they didn't have chariots. Better weapons, three times as many men. God gave them the victory, and the Ethiopians were running for their lives. Why? Because God was on their side. If God is for us, who can be against us? But you know what? If you do it in your own strength, you're going to fail. When Asa relied upon the Lord, he not only gave them victory over the enemy, but decades of peace, and he trusted in the Lord. Now, he won this battle, right? But guess what? He's not going to have peace very long. His peace is going to be temporary because it was all achieved through his flesh. And it's not going to survive. It's not going to endure tough times. You know, when he says here in this verse, when he talks about, he delivered them into your hand, We're not the Ethiopians, yet you did not rely on the Lord. Basically, what he's saying is, if you had relied on me, I would have given you the victory. If you had just come to the Lord, he would have done it for you. But now you've done it in your own strength, and you think you don't need the Lord. And now you're about to find out that when you came to the Lord, it ended with 35 years of peace. And now you've come to the world, and it's only going to cause you more heartache. It's only going to become greater than what it once was. By trusting in a pagan king, the temporary victory that will result in God's righteous judgment and many wars. You know, the highest form of worship is obedience. It says in Ephesians, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. The lesson here is there's danger in strength. See, Asa thought he was so strong that he didn't have to be desperate for God anymore. He thought his army was so strong. He thought 35 years of peace, nobody can touch us. He takes his eyes off the Lord. He puts them on himself. It's not that we should never become strong. It's that we never grow out of needing the Lord. Amen? We never arrive where we don't need the Lord. I need Him every single day. Amen? Every minute of every single day. Paul wrote to the Galatians, Are you foolish, having begun in the Spirit, and you now are made perfect by the flesh? See, Asa began in the Spirit, And now he's trying to do it all in his own flesh, in his own strength. Before he had the strength of God with him, and now he's trying to do it in his own strength, in his own bank account, in his own ability. And he's teaching that lesson to all of Judah. And he's being an ungodly example. You must always rely upon the Lord and never on the world. In reality, I need to be in place where I trust the Lord all the time. I know that by myself, I can't do it, but I can't do it. I might tell myself that's when I start, again, when I think I can do it, I start going down a dangerous path. Well, you know, the big sins I'll pray about, but the little ones, I got them nailed. No, you don't. Amen. No, you don't. You, if we have victory over anything, it's only by the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Without Him, we can do nothing. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Verse 9, What are my life's verses here. I quote it off, you've probably heard me, if you've gone to church for any length of time, I quote it probably at least once a month during a message. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. The Lord wants to use you. The Lord looks to and fro, and when he sees someone stepping out in faith, he wants to come alongside you. And sadly, the people that never experienced that are the ones who never get out of their comfort zone. Let's just ask the question, raise your hand if you feel comfortable with it. How many of you have stepped out in faith, you were scared half to death when you did it, and then when you did it, it was the most you ever grew in your walk with the Lord? Look around. Amen? Amen. Because when does the greatest growth come? When you think you can't do it. You're right. You can't do it, but he can do it through you, right? And it's when you're in that place where you're just, you're petrified and, you know, know, but yeah, but I've never done that before. Well, everything that's ever been done has been done by somebody that never did it before. Amen. Anything in ministry, at some point you had to pick up the guitar for the first time. Amen. At some point you had to sign up to help in children's ministry and you'd never done it before teaching a Bible study or whatever else it is you're called to do in ministry. At some point, you had to get out of your comfort zone and do it for the first time and trust that God would show up. And the amazing part about it is, this is why I love church planting. I tell people to plant churches, it's like base diving of ministry. What I mean by that? You just jump off a mountain with no parachute and go, catch me, Lord. can you just, we're going to go into a city. We don't know anybody. We're going to start from scratch and let's watch what God does. And it's exciting to see God take nothing and turn it into something. Amen? It's a blessing. I love church planting. I love it. You know, and I I would do it again, you know? And so I just love the the whole opportunity to just watch God do something. You know what? When you know that God has called you, then the problems are God's. They're not yours. When God calls you, God will sustain you. And so if you're planting a church and three people show up and you're teaching three people for a year, praise the Lord. Amen? You don't worry about the details. And so the sad part is, though, that we can get so comfortable when we're in a place where there's no opposition and no peace, that we don't act desperate for God anymore, and we don't think we need Him anymore, and now we just trust in our own ability. And that's exactly what happened with Asa. See, the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro among the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of on them whose heart is loyal to him. The word in, in the original King James is perfect toward him. So in some way it's somebody that's got a heart for God that God will use. God, God took, a, you know, a stuttering Moses and used him. Amen. God uses people. His 12 apostles were fishermen and tax collector, fishermen who I never see catch fish anywhere in the Bible, except when Jesus is with them, by the way. But you see these guys that are just normal. He doesn't go get the most intelligent necessarily the wealthiest. He takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So, you know, the Lord wants to use you. And all the Lord wants from you is just to have enough faith to say, okay, Lord, here I am. I've shared my testimony with you guys before. I'll share it with you again. Um, I was just talking to my wife about this the other night. When I first got hired by the company I'm about to retire from, after 35 years. 35 years ago, when I got hired, I was a very young man. I was in my early 20s. And it was a job that was kind of my dream job. And, I'm, and I went straight from playing college football to sales. So I was very competitive. I, mean, I know that's hard to imagine, right? So I was super competitive. And I made a goal to be the number one rep in the entire company in my first year. And by the grace of God, I did it. And I was very driven. And then they had me at Anaheim Convention Center and they gave me this big crystal statue, a big, you know, an idol that needed to be broken, right? <laughs> and I did break it not too long after that. But it had my name on and then they had me speak to all the reps in the whole company and tell them why I was successful. And I'm driving home, We've got a big, beautiful house, beautiful wife. Our, our baby girl was about six months old. And uh, we had everything the world had to offer. And I pulled off in a parking and ride in Acton. And I was looking out my sunroof and I was crying. And I was like, okay, Lord, I did all this stuff that the world thinks will make you happy. And I was a believer and I loved Jesus. And when I played football in college, they called me preacher boy because I was always sharing my faith. But people would always ask me if I was going to be a pastor like my dad and I would always say, no, I'm going to be a Christian businessman. I'm going to give to the church. I'll serve, serve in children's ministry, wherever they would need me, I'll serve, but I'm not called to be a pastor.'" But when I pulled over on the side of the road and I was looking up to heaven, I said, okay, Lord, whatever the question is, the answer is yes. Whatever you want to do with my life, I'm in. You want us to move to China, we'll go. But God just took giving me all that the world thought was important. And when I got it, I realized how empty it was and that God had something greater. And I went home and told my wife on that Friday. We talked about this just uh, just last night. We were talking about this. She said, I remember when you came home that day, it was like I was married to another person. Like, you loved Jesus before, but you really love Jesus after that. And I just came home and said, whatever God wants to do, we're in. We're going. Whatever God says. We go to church on Sunday. The pastor gets up and says, hey, by the way, if you're here and you feel like God wants to do more with your life, I'm like, did you tell him? Right? And to my wife, he said, I'm starting a discipleship class. Four weeks into the discipleship class, he asked me to be the youth pastor. And I said, I don't even know what a youth pastor does. But I told God I'd go to China, so I guess I can be the youth pastor, right? <laughs> and I started teaching with five girls. It was me and five girls around a table. Four of them were sisters. So when they were on vacation, it was pretty lonely in youth group. But the point is that I just started teaching five girls, and then four weeks later, I came in on a Wednesday, and I was sitting in the front row, and... Uh, church secretary came out and said, hey, Pastor John wants to talk to you. I went into his office. His phone was off the hook. He was stuck at the airport, and he told me I was teaching a room full of adults, and I had te- taught four Bible studies in my life and zero prep time. That's called they throw you in the deep end of the pool and hope you can swim. Amen? And I taught count it all joy, my brother, when you fall into various trials because I was in one. Amen? But the point is that I had to learn, we have to learn to rest and trust in the Lord, be desperate for God, and when we get out of our comfort zone... And because I cried out to the Lord and said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. When they asked me to do it, did I, I mean, I was petrified of teaching five girls. I'd never taught a Bible study in my life. And I remember preparing Bible studies. Then I got taught adults. And then I was teaching the men's study. Then I was teaching in the prison. And what happens is we have to get out of our comfort zone once so we can grow and then let God use us. Amen. And he's looking for somebody who will just say, you know, I truly believe this. When I was looking up at the Lord through my, through my, uh, sunroof. I truly believe that was the first time in my life that I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because I had the Spirit with me and in me, but I don't think I'd ever had Him upon me before that day. And when I cried out and said, Lord, I give it all to you. Whatever you want me to do, I'm in. I'm in. And it just, my life changed. My priorities changed. My passion for the Lord grew a hundred times. And what had to happen, I had to get out of my comfort zone. And I want to tell you, it's not easy. I'm not acting like it was the easiest thing, because it wasn't. I was petrified. Each time the pastor asked me to do more stuff, I'm like, really? You got other people here that are older than me. Use some of them. And he kept using me all the time. And so we want to be used by the Lord. But the Lord sees somebody who says, Lord, whatever the question is, the answer is yes. I'm in. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I was on the, at the time, I was on the setup team, and we served in children's ministry. But God had more for us. Both of those are valuable ministries, by the way. Church doesn't happen without them. So the Lord is always looking for faith. And he never misses seeing somebody who has faith. He says his eyes are searching to and fro. You think God misses somebody? He's looking everywhere for people who have faith, who's are loyal to him, so he can pour out his spirit upon them and use them in a mighty and a powerful way. So God, we're, you know, God will see it if we have it. If we're willing to be used by him, I promise you that he will use you. God loves to reward faith. God looks for ways to defend and show his strength on behalf of those who are committed to him. Asa's fear that God could not be trusted or the defense of Judah was foolish and wrong. And God wanted to show his strength on behalf of his trusting people. And the Lord, again, is always looking for faith and he never misses seeing one who has it. It's an amazing thought that the eyes of the Lord are looking all over, and when you have faith, he sees it, and he rewards it, and he wants to use you. The issue is not the strength of God or his willingness to use the strength on behalf of his people. The real issue is the loyalty of man, and in this case, Asa was not. Asa wasn't a man of faith stepping out like he was in the beginning. He cried out to God, they defeated a million-man army. Now he's doing it his own strength, and we're going to see how this ends for him. It's not going to end well. Notice what it says there at the end of verse nine. And again, when he looks upon you, does he, let me ask you a question? Does he see faith between you and the Lord? Does he see a man or a woman of faith? Somebody who's really desperate for him? Somebody who says, "Lord, if, if you ask me, I'll do it." Amen. Lord, show me what you want. I'm in. Both feet. Show me, Lord. I'm in a heart that's loyal to him, a heart that's hungry and willing to be used by the Lord. And let me ask you this question. Are you as on fire now as you've ever been in your lifetime? What happened to Asa? The fire went out. Amen. 35 years earlier, he cried out to God. They defeated a million-man army. Now, he's been 35 years of comfort. We don't know if it was a slow, steady decline away from God but he got to a point where he wasn't crying out to God anymore. And you know what? I'll honestly tell you, there are times in my life where I've looked back and I'm not quite as on fire as I once was. You can have times where you're busy and and other things distract you. And you look back and go, oh, wait a minute. What what happened here? Right? You know, I love that song, Lord, light the fire again. Amen. We need those flames to be reignited. God is looking at hearts. We might be thinking we've come up with a way to get God to answer our prayer, what we really need is to get our heart where we're the one God is looking for. I want to be a man that God can use. Then notice what he says at the end of verse 9. He says, In this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have what? 35 years of peace when he obeyed God. 35 years of peace when he cried out to God. 35 years of peace when he was, being, was willing to be used by the Lord. Now he does it in his own strength. He thinks he's getting away with it. The prophet comes, calls him out, and lets him know from this day forward, nothing but war. Because you did not put your faith in the Lord. You put your faith in the king of Syria, in a pagan god, in pagan idolater, instead of trusting the true and living God. Asa's lack of faith in turning to the world for help will have long-term, heavy consequences. By the way, it worked for a minute, but what works for a while isn't always right. Sometimes we have an idea, hey, it doesn't matter how I do it as long as it gets done. The end justifies the means. No, it doesn't. Sin has consequences. We need to obey God. Verse 10 And Asa was angry with the seer. Don't you love that? Whose fault is this? Asa's. And he's mad at the messenger. He's mad at the man that God is using to speak into his life. Again, this happens often. Uh, Again, when I do counseling, often I'll just turn my Bible around and say, can you read verse number 11 right there? What does that say? And they're like, okay. And now what you're doing, does that agree with that? Oh, no, it doesn't. I'm mad at God. Well, don't be mad at God. Be mad at you. Can I get an amen to that? Right? It's my fault. It's my sin. It's never God's fault. It's never God's fault. Amen? Never. God is always right. God knows what he's doing. God is ever faithful. And what happens again is he's mad at God. You know why he's mad at God? Because he disobeyed God and he got caught. And now your sin found you out, and now consequences are coming because you ceased to cry out to the Lord. You did it in your own strength. You walked in rebellion against God, and God slapped your hand. said sin has consequences. Now, he can still repent, but he doesn't. What does he do? He gets mad at the prophet. He gets mad. It says in 2 Chronicles 15, Last chapter, when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Obed, the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols of all the land of Benjamin and Judah. The last time the prophet came and told him what to do, he said, praise the Lord, and he went and did it. This time he hears what the prophet says, and he's mad. Why? Because he's in the flesh, where before he was humble, broken, and desperate and walking in the spirit. And now he's walking in the flesh, and he doesn't like it when he's being told something he doesn't want to hear. He's no longer humble, which makes him no longer teachable. When someone is prideful, you can't teach them anything because they already know everything. And it's very difficult when you try to speak into somebody's life, and they think they're the smartest one in the room, and they know better than everyone. And at some point, you just have to let them go. You can't fix it. And the sad part is that he had once been humble and teachable. Now he's prideful and unteachable. So you think things are going to get better or worse? See, if you don't heed the word of God, it's only going to get worse. Something has changed in Asa. He doesn't seem to be willing to listen to what God says and he just gets angry. Instead of taking his word, this word from God and humbling himself before the Lord, instead of humbling himself, he's enraged. He's angry He's mad at the messenger. How dare you? Don't you know that I'm the king? Dude, you're nothing. God created you. He brought you in this world. He can take you out. Get over yourself. Amen? That's a word for all of us. Then how it says, verse 10, He was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged with him because of this, and Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. He's so mad, he's taking it out on the people, and he takes the guy that loves him enough and is called by God to speak the truth and throws him in jail. And don't be surprised that that doesn't come to our nation at some point. They threatened it during COVID, didn't they? They kept saying, we had the police visit us twice at the synagogue, and I was ready to go to jail. Let's do it. We'll start prison ministry. Let's go. Amen? Amen. But the reality is that there may come a time where that takes place and we got to quit worrying about what men do with us and be faithful to what God calls us to do. Amen. But sadly here, Asa, he's being that guy. He throws the prophet of God into prison. The guy that got rid of all the idols. The guy that had the worship of the Lord restored, the guy that fired his grandma for being an idol worshiper, and now he paid an idol worshiper to help him, and he throws the man of God into prison because he's mad that he told him the truth. Asa, what happened, bro? He needs a visit from, you know, somebody bigger and stronger than him in Jesus' name. Amen? And sadly, this is tragic, what happens to Asa. Let's finish off. Now watch what happens next. You cannot walk in rebellion against God and expect things to go well. Look at verse 11. Note the acts of Asa, first and last, have indeed been written in the book of the kings of Judah in Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, so about three years after he throws the prophet into prison, it says this, Asa became diseased in his feet. And his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord but the physicians. His, he is so angry and so mad that God would dare bring judgment against him. Now, again, doctors are good. Doctor can, God can use doctors. Amen? But we never seek physicians above God. Amen? We seek physicians along with God. We seek God first, but God may use a physician to heal us. Amen? But here's what he happens. He won't even talk to God. He's so mad at God. So he's got, they don't know the feed element. They were talking, it could be one or two things, gout or gangrene. Those are both gnarly. And whatever it was that he had, he was still angry with God three years later because he how dare God chastise him for the choices that he made. So we're not seeing repentance, we're and not seeing humility, we're seeing pride and anger. And he's going to stand firm on on you know being angry with God. So Asa rested with his fathers as he he died in the 41st year of his reign. So from 36 to 39, he was mad at God. Then he got sick for two years. He slowly died. And we don't see him crying out to God through this entire time. Lord, help us not to finish like Asa. Amen? Asa started so well. If you hadn't read through the book, you'd be like, man, it's Asa. I like that name for my kids. So not so much anymore. Amen? <laughs> I like that Asa. He's, so, he's sweet. I like that Samson. Oh, wait a minute. Not, not so much right? That Judas, he said, well, will be a Paul. Oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. <laughs> so here's Asa. Sadly, when, and when he began, he was so on fire for God and so desperate for God and so usable by God. And you know what? Take heed, lest we fall. That As we get older or, or we go through life and trials don't come in, we can get mad at God and, and, and cease to want to fellowship with God and walk away from God. And sadly, that's what happens with Asa. And then it says there in verse 14, and they buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients prepared and a mixture of ointment. And they made a very great burning for him. Now, they didn't uh, cremate him. They, just, they literally had a huge send-off for their king. They, had a, a, they celebrated. They, you know, they gave him a, a, a good tomb to be buried in. But you know what? None of that really matters if we're not right with the Lord. Now, our God's a God of grace. Could Asa be in heaven? What's the answer? Yes. I don't want to finish like Asa, though, do you? This is a warning for us to learn from the examples, not only of what to do, but what not to do. Imagine if Asa had just finished the way he began. Amen? So, in closing, when our faith is fading when we are not as close to God as we once were, no longer as desperate for the Lord as we once were. We start to judge our actions by the immediate results. We miss out on God's highest by settling for less than His perfect will. And then finally, we see that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you for your word. We ask, Lord, I know I've been exhorted as I've been studying this all week. I've been challenged. I've been exhorted that as I enter the fourth quarter of my life, I want to finish strong. I pray for all of us, the days in front of us would be closer to you than the days behind us, that we would fall more and more in love with you, that you would use this more in the days in front of us than you have in the days behind us. And may we be those when the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one, he can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. May it be our hearts that you see that are loyal to you. Lord, we ask these things In your holy and your precious name, we pray. And all God's people said.